Today we are going to be looking at godly character from 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you turn your Bibles there, and um, I was going to try to finish all the verses at the end of this chapter, but there's so much stuff here, I'm just going to kind of focus in on a couple uh, of verses. Um, Really, one in particular is the one that is the memory verse in the bulletin. But he does say in verse 11, 1 Timothy 4, 11, command and teach these things. And Paul is telling Timothy to command because he has been given authority by God to do what he is doing as a teacher and a preacher of the gospel. The authority that we have to teach and preach comes from God, and therefore we can do it with confidence and assurance because it is the power of God's word. And then he says in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Today I've entitled the message Godly Character, not because I feel like I've attained that. I think I'm very much in process. In fact, sometimes I get discouraged, and maybe you do too, that I'm not further along in my faith journey than I really am. And so, but daily, we are a living example of what we are becoming. Every day, we are becoming more of what God wants us to be or less of what God wants us to be. The purpose of godly character, however, is not godly character. That's not the end result. The purpose of godly character is that you and I might be Christ-exalting people. That Christ is exalted. And if that is the aim, if that is the goal, if that is my purpose and passion in life, I will grow in godly character. I will have a hunger and a thirst to be in the Word of God. I will have a desire to spend more time in prayer. And these are areas that I struggle with. And I'm sure you do too. But to really have godly character, these need to be evident in our lives. A godly character can only be achieved as a person has experienced the matchless grace of God. He or she realizes that Christ must increase and that we must decrease. A godly character humbly recognizes the necessity of the grace of God to bring any lasting change and hope in our lives. John Bunyan, who was a Puritan preacher in the 1600s, he's best known for his classic writing called Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote these words, the singular aim, he says, of a heart mastered by grace is to lift up and magnify Jesus Christ, both as the Christ of the revealed word and as the Christ of personal experience based on that word. However, This work of grace that you and I are involved in is a very, very slow process. Very slow. And we are a people who are addicted to speed. Let me give you an example. We like to brag at how fast we made it from point A to point B. We like to let people know how fast our computer or our internet speed is and we boast about it. At a track race, we want to watch the fastest kid, not the slowest kid. 
Many of you probably know one of the fastest men, he probably is the fastest man on the face of the globe, Usain Bolt, right? He ran in the Olympics. They said he had been clocked at 28 miles per hour in the 100-meter dash. Do you realize he could get a speeding ticket running on half the streets in Huron? <laughs> He's so fast. It's unbelievable. People attend NASCAR because they want to see cars go fast, not slow. Some want to go to see the crashes, I'm sure. But they want to see cars go fast. Imagine if NASCAR changed and put governors on all the cars and they could only go 30 miles an hour. I think the seats would be empty. We want to see speed. We are into speed. And many of us, as young people, I just want to skip this grade, or I want to skip this experience, or I want to skip that. And God uses all of that to develop godly character in our lives. If I had the opportunity with a pencil with an eraser, I would erase a few things out of my life that I would not have wanted to go through, but God took me through them for what purpose? Godly character. That's what he wants to do. But it's extremely slow. It can be painful at times. You'll get scratched and bruised along the way. But you've got to hang in there. You've got to hang in there. Paul is telling Timothy, here's what I am looking for in your character as a young pastor. And God is telling us what he is looking for in us, in this godly character. He starts off saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Here, young would be anybody under 40. Isn't that great? Anybody under 40 would be considered young. Why do we need this godly character? Well, we are passing on the faith to those coming behind us. And so here's what Paul says. I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. If somebody's going to imitate me, then I better have the right pattern and the right example in my life. And I have to take that seriously. In Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He says, don't let anyone look down on you in verse 12 because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Paul says in Philippians 4, 9, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look at this quote by another Puritan pastor from the 1600s. Example is the most powerful rhetoric. And God wants to use every one of our examples in this town and in our families for his honor, for his glory. So let's look at these five qualities that will be evident in a godly character. Five qualities. And they're pretty simple, really. I mean, they're forthright in the passage. The first thing he says, set an example for the believers in speech. What kind of speech does God want us to have? Grace-filled speech. Grace-filled speech. My speech is not always grace-filled. I could tell you it is, but then my wife could tell you it's not. <laughs> and so, let's be honest, grace-filled speech is not always a part of our lives, is it? He tells us in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Some of us need speech therapy, not because we can't talk, but because we can. 
Think about that. Because we can talk. And our talk is toxic. It emits a vapor and odor that is very displeasing to the Lord. And it poisons those who listen to it. So let's look at some toxic speech we should avoid. The first one is lying. Lying. This might possibly be the most broken commandment of the ten. When you think about it. Lying about how we live our lives. Hypocrisy, pretending to be one kind of person and we're somebody else. People have a public persona and a private persona. Their public persona shows this image that they have it all together. And their private persona, their life is falling apart. We can't hide behind a facade acting like we have it all together. I read an article recently in National Geographic and the very last sentence of that article said this, being deceitful is woven into our very fabric. I thought how true that is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse three, Paul says the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. When people lie, that's what they're trying to do, is trick somebody. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Some of us wear masks. We lie. Pella, Bella DePaulo in 2004 wrote an article, Why We Lie. She is a visiting professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, who specializes in studying forms of human deception. She asked college students and members of the community at large to keep a notebook to tally up the number of lies they told in one week. By the end of the experiment, DePaulo found that the students had lied at least once to 38% of the people they came in contact with. While the community at large had lied to 30% of those with whom they interacted. Based on her research, DePaulo said this, we all fall into one of two categories of liars. She said, one, we are self-centered liars, or two, we are other-centered liars. Self-centered liars do this. They lie in order to make themselves look better. Other-centered liars lie in order to avoid hurting someone else's feelings. The experiment found that the proverbial white lie was often more told to strangers and deeper lies were reserved for those the liar loved most. In everyday life, people are often telling lies, says DePaulo. It's not to getting something concrete that they want, like more money, but for psychological reasons. She said, sometimes in our real lives, our valuing of honesty clashes with something else we also value, like wanting to be gracious or kind. Some of you will remember the movie Courageous. Javier, the Hispanic, was working in a factory, and they were struggling financially to make ends meet. And he had an opportunity for a job promotion. They bring him into the office and sit him in front of the boss. And the boss says, I need to know, Javier, whether or not you're on my team. 
He said, I need somebody for inventory and shipping. And he said, now, when crates come in, there's going to be 17 crates of product come in, but I need you to write down 16. And he said, I need to know that you're on my team. He said, I'll give you the rest of the day, and, tomorrow, uh, and I want to see you tomorrow morning and give me your answer. So Javier went home and he shared it with his wife and they're struggling because he's afraid he's going to lose his job if he stands up to his boss. Javier comes in pretty fearful the next morning at 10 o'clock. And what happens? The boss says, well, Javier, are you on my team? Javier said, sir, I can't do that. And the boss looked at him and he said, and why is that? He said, because that would be lying, sir. And he thought he was going to get fired. He said, do you know what this means about your job? And then he just was silent. And he stood up, the boss stood up, and he went to shake his hand. And he said, Javier, you gave me the right answer. I have been looking for a long time for somebody I could trust to tell me the truth. And so he got the promotion. What a wonderful example of someone telling the truth that could have easily lied in a tough situation. Grace-filled speech that exalts Christ. That's what God is looking for in godly character. Secondly, and I won't spend a lot of time on these, is godless chatter. That's another one that is toxic. Chatter matters. What you and I talk about matters to God. It's become a bigger problem in our day, I think, than in the first century. Why? Because of all the venues for communication. Think about this. We can exercise godless chatter on Facebook, instant messenger, Snapchat, texting, even something as slow as email. <laughs> we can do that. Phone calls, coffee socials. This is where we develop an unhealthy sense of what is going on in the community. Who's mad at who? Who's not talking to who? Who's buying what? Who's having marriage problems? Who's having problems with their children? And it's just godless chatter. We could be praying together, asking God to work in our lives, encouraging one another. It's a challenge for all of us. Thirdly, a slanderous speech. Slanderous speech is what Paul had prior to his conversion. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Slanderous speech is defamation with words. Where you defame someone's character, you assassinate their character with verbal abuse. Some of us do it with our spouses. You know, something I'm working on personally in my own life is to be less sarcastic. God has convicted me of sarcasm in my life. I didn't put that in my notes because I didn't really want to share it. <laughs> but that's something that God is working on me about. What is he working in your life about? Fourthly, foolish and stupid arguments. You know, one of the ones that we had in, in school when we were studying for ministry is, can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? How ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's just silly. 
But don't we get into foolish and silly arguments? I mean, how many times has misplaced car keys caused an argument between a husband and wife? No, you had the keys last. No, you had them last. And you get into this silly, stupid argument that really is not worth doing. I used to chuckle at some of the guys in seminary. They would get into these theological debates in the restroom. They'd be arguing back and forth over theolo theological debates that have been debates for 200 years, and they're going to solve it in two minutes in the restroom? Are you kidding me? This is kind of comical. And I'll give you another piece of advice, and this doesn't cost any extra, I promise. Don't bring an animal home right after your wife has sinus surgery. Okay? It turn into a discussion. Okay? Uh, those things can happen. Fifthly, malicious talk. Nasty and hurtful talk intended to harm and wound someone. And 1 Peter 2.1 says, rid yourself of all malice which is mean, cruel, and harsh language that is vengeful and spiteful. Let our conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. The second quality we need is godly conduct. He goes on to say in our passage, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life. In life is our conduct, how we handle ourselves. We are called to be people of righteousness, people who are seeking to be holy, people who live with biblical convictions. Not because mom and dad said I shouldn't do that. The word of God tells me not to do that. Not because an elder or deacon has stepped on the scene, but because God has convicted me that that is wrong and I won't do it because the invisible God sees us who are visible and I'm not going to do it. Godly conduct. In 2 Timothy 3, 13 and 14, he says these words, But as for you, he's talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And I think those who have grown up in a Christian home, God expects a little bit more out of you. If you have a foundation from infancy where you have heard the scriptures and you've been under the influence of the gospel, I think God's going to hold you to a higher standard. Don't look at someone who hasn't been in church and say, well, look at how they live. You raise the standard by your godly character. You call them up to a higher level of living by your life and your testimony. There was a family in San Francisco Bay Area they grew up with commitment. The son's name was David Kraft. His father was a pastor, a godly pastor in, in South Bay. David Kraft grew up with a father who constantly remembered God's faithfulness in the past so David might trust in God in all of his tomorrows. David grew up in love with Jesus and he felt the call of God in a pastoral ministry. He went to seminary. David was a big athletic young man, but at the age of 32, six feet tall and weighed 200 pounds, he worked with a fellowship of Christian athletes. That dear young man was diagnosed with cancer. It racked his body. 
And over a period of time, he dropped from 200 pounds to a merely 80 pounds. When he was ready to pass from this life into eternity, he asked his father to come into the hospital room. Lying there in the bed, he looked up and said, Dad, do you remember when I was a little boy how you used to hold me in your arms close to your chest? David's father nodded. Then David said, do you think, Dad, you could do that one more time? Again, his father nodded. He bent down to pick up his 32-year-old, 6-foot-2-inch, 80-pound son and hold him close to his chest so the son's face was right next to his father's face. They were eyeball to eyeball. Tears were streaming down both their faces. The son said simply to the father, thank you for building the kind of character into my life that will enable me to face a moment even like this. It's priceless. It's priceless. We need character that will keep us in the dark places of our lives. That God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient to help us even in the dark places. The Bible says greater... I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me move on to the third one here. Authentic love. The third one is authentic love. In John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love, I think, that a pastor has to have for his congregation is a sacrificial love. That's the love God wants us all to have, a sacrificial love, an others-focused love that when another person hurts, we feel it deeply. Do you feel the hurt of other people around you deeply? The fourth one is persevering faith. Here's a faith that doesn't quit. It persists, it remains constant to a purpose or task in the face of obstacles or discouragement. Because the Christian life is a marathon. And I can almost guarantee you that every one of us have thought about throwing in the towel at least once and probably multiple times. And if you haven't, talk to me after the service. I want to know your secret. Persevering faith. I'm reminded of the words of a song that says, and it's an older song, it says, Oh, for a faith that will not shrink. Listen to these words. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe, that will not murmur nor complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without, that when in danger knows no fear and darkness feels no doubt. Lord, give me such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, I'll taste and air the hallowed bliss of an eternal home. That's God's desire. The person who will stick with God through thick and thin when God seems a million miles away, when my prayers don't seem to go beyond the ceiling, I'm saying, God, give me a persevering faith to cling to you and you alone. Because it may be all you have, but he's enough. He's enough. 
The last one is moral purity. Oh my goodness, we could preach a whole sermon here, couldn't we? The sexual revolution of the 60s that has just destroyed a lot of our communities. I don't remember who said this, but I think it's true. They said our sexuality is a demonstration of our spiritual allegiance. Let me say that one more time. Our sexuality is a demonstration of our spiritual allegiance. In 1896, there was a film called The Kiss. It outraged moral guardians by showing a couple stealing a quick kiss. People were outraged. That was shown on television. Absolutely disgusting, said one critic. Some things call for police action. By the 1990s, primetime network entertainment offered sexual remarks or behavior every four minutes. From their monitoring of network programs, Lewis Harris and Associates estimated that the average viewer witnesses 14,000 sexual events annually and nearly all are with unmarried people. Is it any wonder why young people grow up with this idea of this license and freedom that God prohibits? God wants purity, virginity till marriage. If you've blown it, you can pledge secondary virginity and say, from this day forward, I will be pure before the Lord. If you have violated that commandment, you need to fall on your face and repent before a holy God. Because what is God looking for? Christ-exalting, godly character in our lives. That's what he's looking for. Some of you remember A.C. Green. He played basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers for a number of years. He was a strong believer in Christ. He was dubbed in Sports Illustrated by columnist Rick Riley as the NBA player who never scored. And what he meant was sexually. He maintained his integrity with the help of friends and champions for Christ and others who keep him accountable and focused on his godly commitment. And here's what Green told Riley. I promised God this, and I'm not going to break it. I love myself and my future wife too much to just waste it. And he had incredible influence and impact in the NBA because of his strong stand for moral purity. He wanted Christ to be exalted in his life. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I have no doubt that we all have room to grow. We are all being challenged to a higher standard, a higher life, a more godly lifestyle, a more Christ-exalting life. But for any of us, it could be a different area. I may not have even mentioned the area, but I think I've mentioned enough that probably there is some level 
of conviction in the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Would you listen to his voice? If there is sin to confess, don't sweep it under the rug because that sin can end up destroying your life and those around you. Would you be willing to say, God, I'm a sinner? You know, Matt shared this morning right before he prayed about pride. Pride is the one thing that will absolutely infiltrate, it seems like, all other sins. When we take the throne of our life and we take control rather than giving control to God. Does God have control of your tongue? Does he have control of your conduct? Does he have control of your love and your faith? Does he have control of your purity? It's God's desire. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, don't try to do any one of these because you will fail miserably. You need the power, the grace, the forgiveness, and the power of Christ in your life. You need to humble yourself and fall on your face before God and say, God, I'm a broken person apart from Jesus Christ. But I understand you can heal me, you can deliver from sin, you can break the chains that we sang about this morning. The chains that bind us. Would you do that? Would you have the courage to seek out accountability if there's a sin that has kept tripping you up and a faithful friend who will pray for you and encourage you and say, you know what, I'm struggling in this area. I want to be delivered, but I can't do this on my own. The big lie is you think you can, but you can't. So would you trust God for that? Let's pray. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.